Hello and welcome to the Random Town Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. I'm sick. I I woke up so like snotty today. You could probably hear it in my voice a little bit too. Not too much, but that, that I'm sorry to hear you're not feeling well. Are you? Is your energy? Are your energy levels okay? Because one of the topics we're going to talk about today, we need you at full capacity. Oh well, I'm I'm already halfway done with this uh, sugar free monster, so I should be fine by the time that we get to that topic. Oh boy! Ah, uh, so the, ra- the 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 rage will fully kick in. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Um, but yeah, this episode, uh, this is episode 255. Uh, this is the one where Nintendo does the opposite of what we expect them to do. Like, they zig where we thought they'd zag, they zag where we thought they'd zig. Um, you know, we talked about in the past Mario Golf Super Rush and how it didn't necessarily feel Mario enough. Uh, and then they showed some more details that kind of point to it being the opposite. So we're gonna talk about that. And then Skyward Sword HD, we're like, oh, look at those quality of life improvements. And then Nintendo throws a wrench in it with the topic you're gonna rage on, uh, the questionable amiibo feature, which we're also gonna talk about. And there's some other stuff too, like Switch Online. Maybe for the 100th game, they give us a big one. Nope, they gave us Spanky's Quest. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, but what we're actually calling classic, this episode man. is... Is it? I've never even heard of it. The game called Spanky's Quest. It's gotta Quest. be a classic to somebody, anyway? right? It, like, yeah. Like, it, there's right, definitely somebody right. out there, there who lost yeah, their crap when the, when the game was announced. <laughs> when they said... The second they heard Spanky, they're like, oh my god, yes. Yeah, yeah let's find probably. that video. I'm sure it's online somewhere. Of someone just like jumping. <laughs> the reaction we had is someone screaming. just scrolling down the press release. <laughs> yeah. Or, just or I guess the they trailer, did play the video. And then it's like, yeah. oh my god. Oh my god, Spanky. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about all that. But um, what we're actually calling this episode is It's Got Character, uh, in part because of the surprising choices of who's actually playable in Mario Golf, which I at least have some hot takes on. Uh, but alongside that, we're also going to be reflecting on one of the very big, very old, very 40th anniversary characters in the Nintendo stable, which is Donkey Kong. Um, it's part of a new, I used to call it semi-regular thing we're going to do on the show called the, uh, I don't know actually what we should call it, the anniversary series, I guess. But um, yeah, stick around to the end of the episode for what that's all about. Um, or we do have timestamps for all these topics and more on the blog post, so you can just do it that way too. Uh, what we don't have this episode, however is our typical what we're playing segment, which is funny because there's actually some new stuff out right now, like in the last few weeks, this coming week, but I guess nothing really caught our attention, huh? Like, is there anything new or old you guys have been eyeing or sort of playing in the background of Note, or is it just like I've been radio sound? super busy just working on personal projects and playing Smash Brothers, which, yeah, kind of kept me from playing anything new. Um did I talk about this? But yeah, we also I also participated in a crew battle. That was also something. Right, happened. you mentioned it two weeks ago, and you said it was against like a uh, cosplay club, so you assumed you were going to win. How? And then Kevin and I were like, "Don't make assumptions." How did that go? Did you win? Uh, we ended up losing, but so don't my, make assumptions. <laughs> but to my defense, um, I, I did my part fairly well. Um, for those that aren't don't know, a crew battle in Smash Brothers terms. It's typically, you know, at least five people versus five people. Ours was 10 versus 10. And it goes by stock. So it's not just like 5v5. It's like 30 versus 30. Because, like, let's say I beat someone, but I, you know, I only have one stock remaining. I have to start the next game with one stock. So, yeah, pretty much you have to you keep playing until you run out of your stocks. And they carry over. Or I should say they don't carry over. Um, and how did it start? It started with one of our, our first person that went up, won their first game, lost a second, but then the second person that went up won two games in a row. Like they ended up taking out 
five of their five of our opponent's stocks. And mm-hmm. then they lost. And then I went up and then I took out eight of their stocks. So I took out like three people. And the person that took me out, I took out another one of their stocks. So I pretty much left us in really good shape. They were like down to their last four and we still had like eight. And at that point, yeah, our team got pretty overconfident. And we ended up running only, into... A... Only then, not when you were before to a week out saying you're going to win because you're Smash Bros players? Even more so. Um, well, okay, no, okay. Uh, it, it it actually wasn't, um, the, our opponents weren't actually the cosplay club, it turns out. It was more like, yeah, we, which is kind of where, like, our confidence came from as well. Because, mm. you know, we're like, oh, it's just a Discord dedicated to cosplay. Like, maybe, like, a couple of them play Smash Brothers, but what it turns out was actually... Did you actively find this Discord, or how did yeah, you come okay, across okay. it? I'm curious how it came to be. No, um, the... The person who created the Smash Bros. Discord just happened to already be friends with the person that created that other Discord. And, yeah, they just, like, had a had a nice challenge. And so the friend misrepresented it to you guys? The guy in your cl- crew who was friends with the other Discord and told you it was a cosplay Discord was not... Well, I mean, he's not wrong. It is a cosplay Discord. It, it's just more like what the cosplay Discord did. Instead of, you know, grabbing specifically from their pool of Discordies... He just went on a stream and it's like, all right, anybody that's really good at Smash Brothers, um, we're just going to have like tryouts. <laughs> so he, it's, it's like they, yeah, they literally had tryouts. <laughs> they and, did. A, so they did like an 80s action movie training montage before they came to Yeah, pretty much. Like, like, you know, like when like you have like the, the team of people that have been practicing and then like the opposing team just like goes on and like scouts out particular yeah. players. And they got some crazy good players. Like we watched um some of their... Like, they were streaming one of their child sessions, and someone on our team, like, posted it. This was, like, a few days before the the battle. And we saw, like, the people that were getting, and we were like, whoa, like, what the heck? Like, what is this Luigi? He's, like, one grab insta-killing people, and, like, damn, like, this Ryu. Like, I don't know. Like, they were grabbing, like, some pretty scary people. So that confidence that I had a few weeks ago when I talked about it here definitely wasn't there as much right before we went on, just because... It looked like they were grabbing some major talent. Luckily mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. I did have to face that particular Luigi. And just because I know pretty much don't get grabbed, I just did my best to stay in the air as much as possible. And I managed to kill his first life without taking a single hit. And then, I don't know, the goddess of luck just happened to rain down on me because I knocked him off the stage. And, you know, Luigi side B, how like it sometimes goes really, really fast. The, yeah, the missile. The misfire. Yeah, the yeah. missile. It happened to go off on him multiple times in a row, and not in a good way because it made him essentially overshoot the stage and fall off, and he couldn't recover from it. And then it happened again, and he just died. And everyone was like, "Well, that was like their Bowser counter." So that pretty much allowed me to go on a longer rampage. But in spite of that, they had a little mech that killed pretty much our whole team, and it came down to last hit, last stock. It was pretty much as close as it can get. And oh, they managed okay, to get, okay. And they managed to get that. They got that last hit at the end. And but yeah, it was really fun. Um, I did manage to win twenty bucks because our own team was having a contest among ourselves of who can take out the most stocks from the opposing team. And after my eight, no one got close to that. It was like maybe two, and then one person on the team didn't even get a single kill in. They got zero, and then one, and then two, and then yeah, and that was it. Five was like the next closest, but 
Yeah. Smash Bros. Crew Battle. That, that really, to really me fun. feels like something you could be more confident in is knowing if you would get the most stock because you oh, know no, the yeah, players, yeah, you know like, the environment, you know you, and you're killing machines. No, yeah, like, yeah, like, like, like my, for my performance, I thought I did like a really awesome job. Um, we just had to be a little less overconfident towards the end because especially after my victory, like everyone was like, oh, we got this in the bag. Just send in this person. But we had the proper counters. We just didn't capitalize as good on them. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We'll do on the next so one. is there a, is there a, is there a follow up tournament like you know this is a movie about overcoming the or about this sounds um, like a movie arc so you did I mean, the thing where you're overconfident and lost and I have to regroup rebuild and then you come back and win in a grand fashion and yeah, everyone there, there, cheers and you get a trophy I mean there is a another one v one tournament coming up that you know it's just for the Discord itself so you know build up our skill level maybe see who else we can recruit for our crew battle that's in the Discord and. Because our team got destroyed by a Little Mac, um, I used to play at Little Mac a lot, so I still kind of know how to use them, so I'm actually going to pick them back up again and use them against the Discord more often just so they have Little Mac exposure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe in the next one, hopefully that won't catch them by surprise. But yeah, it was really fun. Well, actually, what I really love about crew battles is just that every match is really engaging. Because, you know, when you're watching a tournament, for the most part, no one really cares about the matches being streamed unless it's like the grand finals or the semifinals. Or unless you're a fan of a very particular player. But because, you know, it's your it's a team game, like every match matters. So every single match you're like, Oh my god, like do well, like oh no, like I'm blue. Like every match right. is hype. Every single one. So it was really fun. And I know like and I don't know, and I guess like nothing shows it more than I guess my brothers level of interest in it because normally he's not really one to commit to like six hour okay maybe one six hour like two to four hour long sessions of like smash brothers with other people like maybe just against me but i don't know he doesn't want to like sit in a tournament for like hours on end of any kind usually but for this Mm -hmm. one he was engaged the whole time and it helps that we have like you know become good friends with everyone in that discord that we play with often so that also helps as well but yeah, looking forward to more. If you have a chance to join a crew battle, I would say definitely do it. A lot of pressure, especially because you have to win that first time. There's no two out of three, so you can't exactly learn from your mistakes and adapt them. It's pretty much like you gotta figure it out on the spot. But yeah, that'd be crew battle. I already forgot what we were talking about. I must I, have been I having know. a stroke while you were talking about that because I just kept hearing the Powerpuff Girls uh, theme song playing. <laughs> I have no idea what is going on <laughs> right now. It, but... <laughs> oh, I might be sick I of kept flashing. I, I kept flashing, like when you said crew battle, my mind just immediately went to the dance crew that uh, in Good Place Jason has. Like, I don't know why. Obviously, you're not talking about a dance crew, but I just kept thinking of, pretty much of him went. and his dance crew. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it was. I did not hear the Powerpuff Girls, though. So, Kevin, that is a you problem, unfortunately, for you. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, so that's that was pretty much the the biggest new thing that I've been doing the last two weeks, three weeks, actually months, months. So, Ken, besides, I haven't even played um, Monster Hunter. But yeah. Wow, that's actually surprising. Well, yeah, that is surprising actually. Though that was why your two games you're willing to keep playing. Yeah, it but was it was just because I was working had. on that other project. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. done now. So, Ken, you have any gaming things going on of interest? No, not really. I'm still. I actually I haven't been playing in Apex. Top 10 in the world. 
Oh man, I wish. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I have been playing a little bit of Apex. Haven't gone too deep into the season. Uh, I, like I, this last week, I haven't played a lot of video games. Actually, I played a little bit of Resident Evil Village, which you can hear my thoughts on on the latest episode of QC. But aside from that, I haven't really been playing anything. Maybe just Genshin Impact, just doing my dailies, just grinding it out. Can't wait for that mm-hmm. to come to Switch so I can play in bed. Um, but that's pretty much it. Shimigami Tensei 3, Nocturne, HD, Remaster, Remake, uh, Turbo, uh, featuring Dante from the Del May Cry series. <laughs> I think, uh, it either finally released or is going to release, so I'll probably have impressions of that in the next episode. Uh, and that nice, one yeah, definitely I'm playing on the, I'm definitely playing that one on the Switch as opposed to PC. That, that game looks, uh, comfy enough to, to be a handheld game. Yeah, but, uh, it, um, yeah. I, the second, you know, I saw that was on the May release calendar, I'm like, ah, I know Kevin's next game, big game. But, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, for me, I was, I was thinking I may have Famicom Detective Club to talk about this episode, but like, honestly, yeah, I, I just wasn't feeling it based on the reviews, which, is a bit of a bummer. Since really? The more uh, linear... I was yeah. Well, so looking forward. To I know, that right? Because well. yeah, because I mean, the thing is, like, I mean, the more right linear. Up the, it's attorney alley. So right, and it's you know that more linear narrative-driven experience that I've been saying I'm more into, and like ten times credit. There's nothing. It's not necessarily a knock against again. Like the effort they put into the remake seems quite admirable. You know, the graphics look nice. Uh, obviously, it has full localization for the first time. Uh, the story is apparently pretty good. Each story. I think my issue is that um, while I was reading, Nintendo didn't actually like fully. They never fully discussed how the game plays, right? So, or if it plays at all versus just you click through a novel. And I remember when we first talked about it um, after its announcement a little while back in whatever show we did with that Nintendo Direct, um, it wasn't even clear if there was gameplay. So I usually just take the plunge and buy a new Nintendo first-party game and just, you know, see what it is. Like, the presentation's usually enough for me. But in this case, I actually had to read reviews, like I was saying, and it was... Yeah, what stuck out to me in, like, all the reviews was apparently there is gameplay. You have dialogue trees you go through, and that's fine. But due to this being a game from the late 80s, early 90s, and having that gameplay design and them not updating the gameplay design, just updating the kind of uh, aesthetic of it, uh, you apparently need to repeatedly go through the same dialogue trees over and over through the same options only to eventually trigger some new piece of info or plot point that will move the mystery forward. So you may think, oh, he already answered this, but if you ask him again, he may say something different, and there's no indicator of how you have to do that. So you just sit there pressing it over and over from what I gathered. So, like, frankly, after reading just that, I I could already feel my patience wearing thin. Like, if I... You know, if I take what the reviews are saying at face value, it's basically that the game offers zero clue of if you're doing something right or wrong, and you just keep kind of hammering away until maybe it moves forward. And that just did not – I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm curious if that's actually – it just sounds tedious. So I'm curious if there's actually – if it's that bad. So if there are any listeners out there who perhaps checked it out – um, I'm kind of curious how they feel about the progress system. So if you're out there, you know, if you have a copy of The Missing Air or The Girl Who Stands Behind or whatever um, – let me know if it's worth it. Like, is it really that tedious? You know, I, I could just be being stupid about it. I don't know. But you could comment on the blog post. You could post it on, under a YouTube video. Tweet me at JSR7, whatever. I'm just curious because everything else about the game sounds so good. But this one thing in multiple reviews, I just like, oh, God, that sounds not good. Jano like, Chua from have... Giant Bomb also had the same issue. 
Okay, so it is kind of a consensus then. Yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, have you guys ever had that happen before where you're into a game? Maybe maybe it's one you already own and been playing, then there's just one aspect or feature that's just like a complete showstopper for you. Even if you already started playing it, you're just like, nope, and you just like quit. I'm like, like way too we- I'm like way too deep into it. Genshin is full of little quirks like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm already way too deep to just stop playing, so I just live with it now. <laughs> Andrew, have you had that happen before, though? Like, there's a game that interests you where you're already playing, and you're just like, ah, I can't, and it's just, like, grinds to a halt. complete showstopper? Damn. I don't know if it was a feature. I mean, the only thing I could think of off the top of my head is Transformers Dark of the... No. Revenge of the Fallen on PSP. Yeah, I know. Um, So many questions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, it was back when I had a PSP, like over a decade ago. In and college, I remember right? like really enjoying the. Actually, the ones on DS were really, really great. I don't know if any of you played those, but those are quality Transformer games. The first one. Um, it was almost like a red and blue version kind of deal as well, but um, essentially, that game. It didn't really imply anywhere on the packaging. Because, I mean, I got it, like, used in GameStop. Like, I just saw it. I'm like, oh, this looks like it could be fun. But, yeah, it ended up just being, like, uh, like an on-rails game where, like, you don't, you don't, you don't pick when to transform, when to do anything. It just kind of, like, drives itself, automatically transforms. You shoot around a little. Then it transforms back. You go, I don't know, point A to point B. And I just didn't like how linear it was, especially considering the DS was an open world game on the DS where you could literally transform at will. You could become a helicopter, fly around the city, literally transform midair, fire down bullets, and then transform again mm-hmm. on the DS. And I'm like, why is the PSP version so more limited vanilla? Or I don't know. Huh? Yeah. That's, Only that's as a, odd. Yeah. So Was that's, that the same so that's studio that did both. I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't think so, but I mean, only other game I could think of that also did something similar. Actually, no, not even similar, but like Teppen, the card game that in theory should be like my dream game because it's like Hearthstone, but for Capcom properties. Right. And they liter- the latest expansion literally introduced Ace Attorney. Like the whole expansion revolves around Ace Attorney. And as much as I want to get into it, like I just can't get over the menus, like the interface. Like it just feels clunky and not great to navigate mm. um everything just feels like cluttered it like screams um premium model and like the ways i don't really enjoy because mm-hmm. i don't know I, I feel like hearthstone does a really good job of just like simplifying their menu like it's really clear where it's just oh play a game go to your deck like anything monetization related, it's just in one little button on the bottom left that just says shop. That's like it. There's like maybe a little banner in the bottom, but even the banner is like integrated into the UI that it just looks natural. Like it looks like intended. Like it doesn't feel out of place or anything. But in Teppin, everything feels like it feels like I'm getting bombarded with pop ups, even though they're not pop ups because right, but they're all advertising right. like. Oh, this expansion just came out. Oh, this other expansion just came out. Oh, don't forget to like grab this thingy. And yeah, I don't know. And you know, it kind of shoves in your face how many different kinds of currency there are. That's like another 
I, I guess that was maybe the showstopper, just that there's like four different kinds of currency. I really like hate Hearth... that about mobile games. Like, just have one. And then yeah, like you in pay Hearthstone... for it or let you earn it. Like... <laughs> yeah, and in Hearthstone, you just have one. You have the coins. Like, there is something called dust, but... Like, I feel the separation of it is a lot clearer that it doesn't bother me because, you know, you have your coins. You use coins for everything or you can use real money. Some mm-hmm. things you can only get with real money, but for the most part, you could get anything with coins. At least anything that matters. And then you have dust, which is, you know, if there's some cards you don't like, you could essentially trade them in at a quarter of their value GameStop style. And then if you gather enough dust, you can create literally any card you want from that dust so it's like all right like they don't let you buy the cards you want like the specific cards you want but you could create them with enough dust and that's mm-hmm. literally it those are like the two monetization schemes in Teppen, there's like zenny there's crystals there's tickets there's some fire orb looking thing like i still haven't quite figured it out and i feel that the fact that i didn't really want to bother trying to figure out figure it out is enough to tell me that yeah something is just like wrong with it because right. it's Phoenix right in it. It has like Marvel characters. I don't know. I might try it again. Maybe I haven't forced myself in it long enough because I know there's something there. And I love the idea of this card game that just doesn't stop. You just like, I mean you don't wait for your opponent's turn. It's all on timers. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean Hearthstone games can go as long as thirty minutes. Apparently, the longest these can go for is five minutes. So. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think I think to your point about like trying again, I may depending on you know if I hear more about Fanacon Detective Club either from some of our listeners or just in general as as time goes on, maybe I'll get over the hump of the oh you have to go through dialogue if it's really not that bad. But like, yeah, as of now, I'm kind of like you with Tepid. Um, and it, it got me thinking like, has there ever been for me a game like this before? And I think, I think before now the only time I've ever come close. Super Monkey Ball was, One. No, I love Monkey Ball. Are you king? Uh, no, I was gonna say Elibits on the Wii, which wasn't actually a fault of the game per se. Um, do you guys remember Elibits? Yeah, yes, yeah, so, the one with the weird commercial. Yeah, I, I barely remember the commercial. So but yeah, for those who I don't remember it. Oh well, then I'll, I'll remind you. I was gonna say for those who don't remember, um, this was a Wii launch tile from Konami, where you had to go around a house and kind of be on the house too, um, and find these little electric creatures called Elibits. And it was played in a first-person perspective. And with oh, very, that's right. Very, yeah. Yeah. I remember. It's very heavily inspired by the fact that the Wii Remote allowed you to, like, have an on-screen pointer and you can grab and move stuff and, like, like pick up the Elibits and that sort of thing. And that was fun in kind of a wacky, weird way. But I don't know what it was. Like, I don't know if it was a physics engine or the way the camera moved or what, but it's the only time in my life that a game I had to actually stop playing because I was getting nauseous from motion sickness. Never happened with any game before. Never happened with any game after. I've played plenty of first-person games in the time since and prior, and yet that one was bad enough that I had to stop playing. And it was very bizarre. And it's not even like I had that huge of a TV, so it doesn't even make sense. But yes, that's the only other time I can think of where a game, where I just like grinded to a halt any interest in a game. What a weird game. And I tried. I tried to persevere, but what? What a weird game. Like, who thought this is going to be this? We got it. We got the next what? hit. We got the next hit franchise, Elibits. It's it's funny because like on some level, I could see Konami trying to do like the Nintendo thing, like oh well, like wouldn't it be kind of fun if like you're going around your house and there's always and like all the things that plug in and are electric are actually little creatures and like it's kind of had like a Pikmin vibe to Elibits. They're like these little small things that had little antennas that glowed and it's like all right, I could kind of see where they're going, but yeah, like to think a whole game where you just collect them is definitely 
you know, developers seeing a Wii remote, like, oh, let's let's try this new technology more. And I like, had that kind of tech demo feel versus a full game. But at least from the little bit I played before I had to stop. But yeah, it was a strange game for sure. Um, but yeah, enough about games we aren't or couldn't play. Um, let's jump into the news and discuss some of the ones that are coming down the pipe next, including or starting with uh, Mario Golf Star Rush, which, you know, when this was initially revealed, actually in the same presentation as Fan Detective Club, now I think about it, uh, the general consensus from us was that it felt kind of bland, subdued, not Mario-y enough. But yeah, uh, we, was it the realistic? Yeah, like it was like it was like PGA Tour that happens to it was like when Mario was playing NBA Street or something. Except even NBA Street had a more character. But um, a week or so ago, Nintendo put out a new overview trailer, fleshed out just what's in store uh, when the game comes out on June twenty fifth. And I don't know about you guys, um, it for me it kind of confirmed my suspicion that how they define a Mario Golf game has kind of changed. But they did throw some bones to longtime fans in a way. But I'm curious first though, Kevin, you're the real Mario Golf guy among us. How are you feeling about the game now? Now that we know more about what it actually is, it, are you you still worried? Are you a little reassured? Where, where's your head at? I'm going to be completely honest. Didn't know that there was a new trailer. Fair. Okay. Yeah, there was. They tweeted out and that was it. And that's the problem with not having directs more regularly is as much as I love the drip feed of news, it stuff slips by. Like you are a Mario Golf guy and you had no idea there was a trailer. Uh, yeah, let me take a look at that. But I, I, I can tell you a bit about, um, to catch you up. So they, it's about five minutes long. Uh, they showed off a couple different modes. Um, there's the standard golf, which is what we saw before. There's Star Rush that we saw before. There's another mode called, uh, Battle Golf. And I think, at least from my impression of the trailer, um, I think the difference with this Mario Golf game over other Mario Golfs is that, and I think one of us made this point when it was first announced, it might have been me, I actually don't remember, but it's kind of two games in one. Like in the same way that Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games has regular events and then these much more arcadey, whimsical dream events, it feels like Mario Golf was like, okay, here's some golf that just happens to have Mario, and then separately here's this wacky over-the-top, it's golf but also not type of experience. So while you watch the trailer, I guess, my takeaway at least from it, was almost more of a reassurance. Like, yes, that division is in fact there. That theory isn't wrong. But, um, and, and to that point, there has been an, a de-emphasis on the idea of layering Mario on top of golf in the core golf mode. Like, sure, they show, they have a couple examples there in the tra- trailer where, um, you know, you see him like, you, they, someone knocks a golf ball into a pokey cactus and, it, and the ball breaks it into parts. There's another where they show like, of course, that's some lava along the side of it instead of water. And, you know, those kind of feel like bones that are being thrown to longtime fans, in my opinion. But it does feel like in this standard golf mode, it is this sort of split. They are overall having this weirdly realistic, regular courses, the tone, the color palette. It all feels kind of like real, quote-unquote, like standard golf. And that, you know, maybe had some concerns. But the reassurance to me is that there's everything else about the game, at least three separate modes that don't feel like just a normal golf game with Mario slapped on, or even what Mario Golf used to be, it where it's like a Mario-themed golf game, but instead it felt more like golf being layered on top of Mario, if that makes sense. Like, it feels to me like there's a fundamental gameplay shift that's focused, instead of it being golf that's whimsical with Mario, it's like Mario's most successful multiplayer principles, but with golf now being the underlying mechanism of them, if that makes sense. Like, Star Rush and all the power-ups are certainly, you know, that sort of it's Mario first ethos that they just 
put golf on. And equally noble is what I mentioned, the battle golf mode. So I don't know if you got to that point in the trailer yet, Kevin, so I'll explain it real quick. But battle golf is a riff on the main Star Rush mode. Um, so I kind of get why they didn't reveal it initially and saved it for now. But basically, it's more frenzied Star Rush. You're in a stadium. There are nine holes around you, and you can go for any single one. And the first person to land three holes, whichever three holes, wins. So to the point I'm making about how it's like Mario through golf instead of golf with some Mario. Um, I mean, it, it, if you think about it, Star Rush is Mario Kart, right? You're all quite literally racing down the same path. You're dodging obstacles. You're using items, both, you know, ones you find on the course and ones you earn. You're trying to screw up opponents with those items and you're all trying to reach the same goal, the same hole at the end, the same finish line. And then if you look at battle golf and compare it to the battle mode of Mario Kart, Again, it's kind of parallel. You've got an open arena. It's based on a three-point system. I mean, in this case, you're trying to get to three points first, not be the last one standing, but still, it's kind of that idea. And it's a free-for-all in the sense that anyone can target anyone, not just those moving forward with them in a pack. So like Mario Golf, you know, the battle mode, battle golf, is built on top of the main mechanic of the main racing mode, Star Rush. Uh, but here, the power-ups, you know, they're still there. The skill shots are still there. It's just all golf-themed instead of car themed but it's really like not what a Mario sports game was before in my opinion where you know it was um, an arcade sports game that just had some theming this is straight up like a Mario experience that's golf themed if that makes sense even even like single player actually it's kind of yeah, like that it does yeah because like even single player has um, yeah, this is probably the closest to what we're used to because they did this with Mario Tennis Aces uh, single player is also in the trailer and it shows, you know, you level up through challenges that teach you fundamental mechanics, but there's also, like, boss battles now. And it's interesting that, like, that was literally what Mario Tennis Aces did. This one's a little more open world than that one, but nonetheless, kind of parallel. Uh, and it's interesting to see that Camelot seemingly looked at that and went, yeah, like, we could apply Mario gameplay concepts to other things, and then just sort of brought that over golf with single player and then kept going, like, why well, stop there? And started doing all these crazy other modes. So, I guess... I guess the long short of it is I want to modify that comparison to Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. I, I don't think it's exactly like Mario and Sonic. I think it's the inverse of Mario and Sonic. Because there, most of the games are realistic in, in style and there are a handful of dream events. Here, it looks like the standard golf is a quarter of the game and the other three quarters are these kind of more whimsical Mario gameplay presented through golf type of approach. So that's my... That's my two cents on the on that part of the trailer. But Kevin, I imagine I talk long enough for you to actually look. So, what, what, how are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, oh, excuse me. Um, like, don't get me wrong; the game looks fun, and those game modes do look fun. Like, they look very highly competitive, but more competitive in a party kind of sense, not necessarily how, not necessarily like an esports kind of competitive. Yeah, like a but Mario Party still, Mario Golf competitive. And and I see I see the giant thwomp, I see the giant poke. It just it still doesn't look whimsical enough. Yeah. Which is all that I remember Mario Golf being. All the way back from Total Tour to a World Tour on the three DS, I believe. Uh yes, yes. Like yeah, so it's it's still missing that, that whimsy that, that I look forward to in a Mario Golf. I'm I'm sure it's gonna be a competent golf game. They usually always are. Yeah. But yeah, there's still there's still something missing from there. And yeah, it's like they, uh, they they do have those like desert courses, those those different biomes. But yeah, 
I still feel like there's there's just something missing from it. Yeah, I think it, it it does feel like. I mean, Andrew, how do you feel about it? I didn't, didn't, we didn't even get to you yet. Like you you watched it, I assume, right? Uh, honestly, no real feelings one way or the other. I it just I don't is. know. <laughs> I, yeah, after that first trailer, I was just like, I'm just gonna wait and see until it comes out. Like, yeah, I I don't know. I because I felt like I got, I don't know. I don't want to say burned because I like um, Martinez Aces, mm-hmm. but I don't love it, and I kind of wish I did. But I don't know. It's like doesn't do anything necessarily wrong, but something about it just didn't make it. I don't know. Didn't hook me the way even the 3ds one did. Right. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just over those sports games i don't know maybe you just really want baseball that bad that the other ones just aren't doing it but i mean i love golf on the 3ds so i was naturally like excited for this one but not as much as i thought it would be maybe i'm just tempering my expectations until it's actually out but i most likely will still get it but i i do think to your point about like even martin's aces you felt differently i feel like aces too i feel like aces led us to this like aces did stuff that was mario tennis but it also started branching out like i was saying with the single player into a bit more of like well what if it's mario but with tennis and like i feel like this is a new like this is it kind of begs the question it seems like even to your point about the lack of whimsy it seems like camelot and nintendo are moving in this direction where like it's not so much about how does it how do you theme golf? It's more about how do you apply golf to the franchise, which is a complete inversion of what the games used to be, which were just, you know, simple arcade sports games that had some Mario characteristics, like some like skins, basically, of Mario. And, you know, it's arcade because you bounce the ball off a, of a mushroom instead of, you know, it has like, instead of a trampoline or like things like that, like little, you know. But, um, yeah, I do wonder what this means for other sports games down the line for Mario because, you know, if... While relatively low key, this is a pretty noble shift in how Mario sports games are kind of approached, right? Like it was generic arcade game that was really colorful and popped, and now it's like, well, what if the arcade mechanics, while still there, also were not a typical arcade game, and we're gonna change how it looks and just sort of focus on the mechanics? And that made me wonder very quickly, Angel. You brought up baseball, like it was the deeper mechanics that got you hooked on sluggers, wasn't it? Yeah, just the fact that it pretty much played like an actual baseball game with the wacky Mario stuff built on top of it, which, you know, is kind of what um tennis did, but there was just way more going on in the baseball. I mean, the fact that you actually played through entire games of them instead of just these, like, actually, that's probably what it was, just like the lack of customization of game length. Like, it was either like a two out of three or one set. You couldn't do like two out of three sets. Which is what we normally did, mm. and yeah, I don't know. So I'm just like, like kind of hoping lengths aren't predetermined to a egregious degree. But yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, my thinking here is like, let's say they do decide to do a baseball sequel, and you know, never mind the necessary the um, length of modes, but just the the mechanics themselves, right? If baseball is going to become a new conduit for for some sort of head-to-head Mario experience, you know, made one inspired by Mario Kart, by Mario Party, who knows what, like, does that mean 
But what does that mean for those deeper mechanics? Like, if if you get that long-awaited Slugger sequel, is it actually now going to be what you want it to be, or is it going to be... That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's, and same with, like, Strikers. I mean, maybe Strikers Honestly, is really what started they just, I, I just wanted to, like, re-release it on the Switch or something. Give us those Nintendo Select classics or whatever. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm shocked they haven't done anything with Wii Sports on the Switch. Like, I don't remember who it was, but I saw someone on Twitter say, like, Wii Sports Online should be a Switch Online exclusive game the way Pac-Man 99 is. I was like, that makes a ton of sense because, like, they're sitting on these gold mines of content. And we know, as we talked about last episode about Nintendo's frugality, how much they like to port things. So, like, give baseball back. That will do fine. Bring over Wii Sports Online and just, you know, make it an exclusive thing now. Keep Switch Online happy. Like, there's so many things they could be doing. They're so, like, simple, quote-unquote, that I'm kind of surprised they're just not. But, and you know, on some level, before we go too far down this rabbit hole, will baseball ever be the same for Mario? Like, we kind of got to see how deep the not Mario, the, like, not Mario mechanic parts of Mario Golf go. Like, maybe the core golf game is as strong as ever. I mean, Kevin, you're saying it looks like it was. And this is perhaps just all augmenting that. Like, that'd be the hope, right? Like, you get a full standard golf game, plus Star Rush, plus Battle Golf, without anything being at the expense of each other, minus maybe the whimsy. But yeah, I can't help but feel like other. this is like rats and sort of inflection point. Like, I don't know. I don't think the Mario sports games, in the same way Paper Mario at one point kind of shifted, I feel like we're kind of in the midst of that right now, and I'm curious to see where it goes. Like, I don't think well, what, we, what we define Mario best. sports is is necessarily what Nintendo and Camelot see it as now. So, so time will yeah. tell. But um, time will tell. I'm over it. We only have a limited amount of time in this. uh, It's true. What's the thing? Yeah, we only have so much time in this world. There we go. So it is kind of unfortunate that time will tell because it's a (laughs) very precious and limited resource. But what are we going to do? Well, speaking of that precious resource, uh, because I'm already overanalyzing a five-minute trailer or uh, jasoning jasoning it, as I'm guessing nobody calls it to my face but probably says behind my back – um, I'm going to waste more of your time because I have another thing I want to talk about for a minute. The character roster. I have thoughts on this. Uh, I mean, it's partly where our episode title comes from. So there are 16 characters in all, right? Probably more to follow with some sort of DLC. Uh, and among the core 16 are, of course, you know, your typical ones. You got Mario. You got a very dapper looking Waluigi, who, by the way, have you guys seen that new render of Waluigi that Nintendo put out a few weeks ago where he's like, in like, he's like sticking his tongue out towards a rose and he's like in like a dance pose? It's very uh Oh yeah. It's very something. Yep. I don't know what that's very something. Yeah, they did. Yep. Um I mean honestly, like Waluigi is a character that he has more personality than like eighty percent of the Mushroom Kingdom cast. Like they should just give him his own game already. Like he has more personality than Wario, I'd say. Um but anyway. You know, he's in the game. Pauline's now in the game, which makes sense given her resurgence with the Mario universe. You've also got Toad in a tiny hat on top of his mushroom, which is uh pretty funny looking. But then it gets more interesting, and this is what I want to actually talk about. Uh, there's two characters Nintendo hasn't really leaned on as much before. King bob and of all things, one of those football-themed charging chucks from Super Mario World. And now, you know, both these characters have been around the Mario universe and have been slowly, I guess, kind of working their way up the ranks of recognizable characters. They both popped up in Super Mario Party, for example. Um, and King bob perhaps got the biggest bump because, you know, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, that sold like 9 million copies, and he's, you know, the very first boss in Mario 64. So let's say a third of those 9 million played Mario 64 already. They all saw him. He's back in the, like, Mario zeitgeist. But you know what else is true about them is that neither of them 
prior to the past, let's say, year or so, have ever been playable characters in a Mario game. And what I find interesting about that is that they take the spots of equally recurring characters who are already established uh, in playable, or not equally, I should say unequally. They take the spots of characters who were established and previously were in other Mario sports games, Mario multiplayer games, Mario whatever. You know, they take the spot of P. Piranha, take the spot of the Koopa Troopa, King Boo, Goombas. The only other Mario enemy playable besides Bowser and Bowser Jr. in Mario Golf is Boo. But all the other enemies that we're used to seeing in various games are subbed out for these guys. And I found that to be kind of intriguing. Like, obviously, there's a huge selection of Mario characters out there. But, like, what compelled them to specifically decide King bob and freaking Charge and Chuck are worthy of inclusion over any of those others? So, I mean, King bob is royalty, and DKS kind of deserved a spot. I'm surprised okay, what about Charge and Chuck? Before. What about Charge and Chuck? He pretty cool. He does look cool, but what, uh, what, why? Why do you think he's there? <laughs> wait, King bob No, Charge and Chuck. Oh, um, I don't know. The same reason we have Spike or other random enemies. I feel, if anything, like Charging Chuck should have had a spot in one of these games before even, I would even say the, 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 why, why am I blinking on the name? The dog. The dog? The Chain Chomp. Oh, Chain Chomp. So here, Like in Mario Tennis. Right. Like, so, I don't know, they're just making the rounds with random en- enemies each game. I mean, freaking, we got Piranha Plants in Smash Brothers. Like, Charging Chuck in Golf, just, just as weird. You ready for my uh, my deeper thought? It's not like a big a big epiphany, but here's my more cynical take. It's uh it's marketing. If you look at when Nintendo began to rotate in and out characters from all the various playable Mario game rosters, you know, with some serious regularity when they actually started. We to got the B in Mario Kart Seven for some reason. That one didn't make yeah. any sense. Well, because Mario Galaxy was out and but, it was in the like it was in people's yeah. minds. Yeah, but I know. Yeah, like, I mean, it makes sense to get a Mario Galaxy character, but like, why the B? So here's uh, here's what yeah. I'm thinking because like you mentioned Spike, and I think Spike, you know, Spike suddenly getting more in the spotlight. There's a pattern here. Spike is perhaps the perfect example of it. So he got revitalized first as an Emmy in the regular Mario games. I think it was in New Super Mario Brothers. He was dormant since Mario 3, then came back in New Super Mario Brothers, and then they slowly started integrating him into bigger spin-offs like Mario Party. Then he first was a playable character on Unlockable in Mario Party 10. I don't know if you remember that. And yes, I actually looked this up. Then he was playable in Mario Yeah, that's where, that's where I brought him up. <laughs> yeah, but then there was like nothing in between, right? Like he kind of came and went. And when the Switch happened to make him playable, I distinctly remember within a year or two of that happening, suddenly there was merchandise for him. Like, yes, they already made merch for Goombas and Koopa Troopa and Piranha Plants and somewhat Chain Chomps, but never was Spike a thing. But suddenly out of nowhere, there was a Spike plush. There was a Spike figurine. Like, he was a noteworthy character. He could be, you know, added to Nintendo's mobile games as a new character to unlock and have enough of a following where people now would care to try to unlock him. And the exact same pattern has played out the last couple of years with King bob He popped up in various games as a non-playable character for a long time, kind of just at the, in the side, like on the sidelines, like a little reference here, non-playable in a Mario Party, that sort of thing. But like in re- recent years, he kind of got a spotlight shined on him. He became the centerpiece of a whole Super Mario Party stage. He became an assistant character in Dr. Mario World. Uh you know, like I said, he was in Mario 3D All-Stars, and which, you know, he's the very first encounter in that game for most people. And then, boom, suddenly last fall, he was added in Mario Kart Tour as a playable character. And now here he is in Mario Golf, taking up one of only 16 spots. 
and charging trucks, same deal. Outside the Mario and Luigi games, uh, the dude wasn't seen from Mario World up through Mario Odyssey. He just didn't exist, basically. Then he popped up in Bowser's Fury. Then he suddenly was featured in Super Mario Party minigames after not appearing in any of the past 12 entries. And lo and behold, look who's now a playable character in Mario Golf. Uh, and surely mobile appearances are gonna, you know, follow. So, like, I don't... I'm not, like, being cynical, like, oh, I can't believe Nintendo's doing this. Like, I don't fault them for doing this. Like, the fact is, especially with the mobile games, they need the content. I mean, uh, there's a number from analytics firm Sensor Tower the other week that I saw that Mario Kart Tour has 200 million downloads now and has made $200 million in sales. And when you have those numbers after two years and countless character additions, you've got to turn somewhere to keep people giving money to rub those warp pipes to get those characters, which is an actual mechanic of how you do the gotcha. It is not euphemism. You literally rub a warp pipe. But anyway, my point is there's only so many outfit changes, so many baby forms, so many pink gold peaches that they can do. So they got to take advantage of this massive, massive number of characters at their disposal, right? And with the exception of big bosses like Wart, who, you know, kind of has, like, some falling from the nostalgia. It's hard to move an audience larger than basically us to care about some random enemy who maybe had that one cameo in Mario and Luigi Paper Jam that one time or whatever. So they're applying the lesson they learned from the merch with Spike and others like that, and it's basically like, you know, give different enemies the spotlight, rotate them around, kind of like you were saying, Angel, they're just kind of doing a rotation, make a good amount of money on each. You know, there's a reason Spike's only been playable twice. There's a reason Wiggler was only playable once in Mario Kart 7. You know, same thing with how, like, P. Piranha was usurped by King Boo, was usurped by the Bee, was usurped by now King Bob-omp. Like, it's a rotation. And it's arguably why Birdo and Toadette, who were longtime mainstays, are nowhere to be seen in the game, in the, uh, game's day one roster. Probably they'll come as DLC, but, like, they don't need to necessarily build a following for those guys anymore. Girls, in this case. They, um, you know, can slot in someone else and get them interested. It's a tie, it's a tried and true formula that um, other brands in Nintendo's orbit have been doing for a while. I mean, the Pokemon company is probably the most uh, notable example. They, you know, arbitrarily decide this month we're going to make Slowpoke a thing. And suddenly, you know, there's merch and there's a silly viral ready song and there's in-game events and you name it. And they just actually last week or announced they're doing it again. Uh, they announced something called Project Piplup where all they did is put up a Japanese uh, on wow. the Japanese website a teaser video but literally they're just like we're going to expose Piplup to the world more that's the whole pitch we're going to show them the world the magic of Piplup and I guarantee it's going to be like a month two months of merch in-game stuff maybe a silly song and then they'll move on to another Pokemon and what works so well about that is no one has to like make new characters like they're leveraging existing established characters to do it which I think something is uh, I think it's something Nintendo is very acutely aware of with their efforts. That Pokemon Company is able to just like take pluck a Pokemon out of nowhere, be like it. It has enough of a, you know, it's been around enough. We can do something with it and then run with it. Because there was a uh, interview um, a few weeks ago, I think in like late April, in Fast Company with Nintendo's two presidents, the global one, Shintaro uh, Furukawa, and the American one, good old Doug Bowser. And uh, it's it, it's a good, albeit kind of general overview of Nintendo's whole IP expansion plans and, you know, nothing crazy new or revealing. They did mention they're going to be doing more animated stuff. That's interesting. But for those curious, we'll link to the blog post. Uh, we'll link to it in the blog post for more if you want to read it. But the reason I bring it up is that one of the points these two made in the interview is for their IP expansion efforts. Ultimately, Nintendo to them is still a game-first company to the degree that they actually emphasized in the interview the point that 
um, for all the IP partnerships they're doing, the Mario movie, the you know Super Nintendo World, all that, they need to make sure they don't pull away any game dev resources. Those that are involved in any other project outside of gaming who are developers first or a Miyamoto type or whatever are doing it in uh, minimum capacity. So the fact that through their games, specifically through their games, they're able to highlight all these different bit characters and turn them into recognizable faces, that to me seems like a really clever way to keep the focus on game development but also throw a huge bone to the marketing guys and to the merch guys and to the partners like D, uh, DNA who you know develop Mario Kart Tour and Dr. Mario World content and need more things to push to players. So, you know, for us fans, it works out okay because it's it plays to our nostalgia, our deeper lore understandings, if you could say Mario has a lore. Um, it provides more variety so folks can feel unique and who they may like and all that good stuff. Uh, but it benefits Nintendo in a much bigger way without really being detrimental at all to anyone. So, that's my hot take on the 16-character roster. I bet you didn't think I could stretch that into that long. But it, it really stuck out to me that Charge and Chuck was there, more so than King Bob Um... And I mean, you may think that, you know, while I'm saying all this, you may be saying they're thinking I'm being very cynical. This is a very jaded view of the situation. Like, really? You can't just like a character. But I will counter that point with another Nintendo announcement of Nate, of Nate, of late. And Kevin, I know you have strong feelings on this one, so I'm going to trigger you with two words. Loftwing Amiibo. <laughs> Whoa, those are sound. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he just I think he just died. You heard Lafayette Amiibo and just killed over. He's so angry. he hates it so much. I think that's why I'm sick. The the announcement of this amiibo just physically destroyed me. So do you want to walk people because you know, me saying oh no, Nintendo you, you, for the you, money. You you set me up, set me up. Uh, okay, put sure. The, so... Put the golf down on the T and uh Yeah, oh nice, nice. Tying it into let me, the previous let me topic. This, very this very mofo. beautiful. Beautiful. So Nintendo announced uh, last week that they are adding a new amiibo to the lineup. It's actually a pretty nice-looking amiibo. It's a Loftwing and Princess Zelda, well, pre-Princess Zelda. Uh, it's going to be $25 because it's apparently a bit bigger than most because it's two characters. And um, what it does in the game of The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD, which releases alongside it in July, is it allows you to, for the first time and only through the amiibo, fast travel at any point in time in the game. In the standard game, including when it was on Wii, and in the Wii U kind of like port um, that they did on the eShop, it, uh, you could only fast travel in predetermined spots in the game. The game would basically unlock the ability at a certain point in time and then be like, cool, you want to go to the sky, you want to go to the ground, here's where you do it in these designated spots at this designated time. Which, you know, to some people, you could argue was part of why they felt the game was too structured or linear and not open world enough because you can only move back and forth when it tells you you can. The Loftwing amiibo, however, is like, ho-ho, you can do it whenever you want. Tap me, go to the sky. Tap me, come to the ground. It's all up to you. And yeah, it's basically a quality of life feature behind a plastic paywall. Kevin, the floor is yours. Uh, This is probably one of the most disgusting moves that Nintendo's done in a while. Uh, and I feel that they're not getting nearly as much crap about it as, uh, as any other company would. For instance, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is, uh, I believe a compilation of the first three games just recently came out. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. I, I keep having to mute my mic. I'm sorry. Um, so that just came out 
And one of the improvements that they said that they made was with the handling of the Mako, which is a vehicle in the first game that apparently just controls like ass. So they said that if you want it, you can uh, switch to the handling of the original game back in 2008, whenever the first Mass Effect came out. Um, can you imagine the crap that EA would get if they put uh, the better handling behind a physical paywall? The amount of vitriol that the entire internet would be giving EA for mm-hmm. a move like that. Mm-hmm. A, a genuine quality of life change that they are charging you $25 for. And Nintendo, for whatever reason, is getting none of this. Oh, they're getting – there's and some pushback. There's been some hot there, takes there, and there, some there, form freakouts. It, it's and... funny because because I think this this is sort of a larger problem within the community as well where hmm. I feel like Nintendo is so distant, is so far apart from the entire industry that whenever something like this happens, it's only within – a subsection of the community that gets mad because it's literally only the Nintendo diehards and only a percentage of them will get mad. Yeah, I saw a lot of defense and moved on. Yeah, exactly. A lot, a lot of the comments that I saw about this were like, "Well, you didn't need it before," and like, "You're absolutely right. I didn't need it before. Like, you didn't need this quality of life uh, mechanic in the original Skyward Sword to beat the game, but." They're they're literally making the game better with this one thing that they are charging you twenty five dollars for. I don't understand how you see that as acceptable. I don't see how this is a good move. And not only that, it's also disgusting on Nintendo's part. I believe Patrick Klepik from Waypoints or Vice or whatever they're calling his outlet now. They change it every uh, week. Sp- <laughs> Vice sp- gaming, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Vice gaming too. Yeah. Uh, I believe he had wrote on Twitter that he asked Nintendo, like a Nintendo PR person, if uh, this mechanic was either going to release at some point without the Amiibo or if any other Amiibo will will allow this function. And they just sent a link to the pre-order page on Nintendo's website. What? It's so that doesn't, okay. That doesn't even make so sense. Their PR people dude. generally are very good at what they do. I'm I'm actually very surprised about that. Like my interactions with them back in the day were, were always, you know, they were always bending over backwards to try and help. That's crazy that they just sort of blew him off, especially someone of his profile. There's there's something to be said about how if any Legend of Zelda amiibo allowed you to do this, that'd be a little bit better. Right, but the fact that they're walling it off on this brand new twenty five dollar amiibo, which I think sold out immediately. Oh, it did. So there are people that there are people that just you know are probably going to suck it up and buy the amiibo that didn't even get the chance to because it's sold out. Yeah, because it's still whether it be because they yeah. want yeah because whether they wanted to for the for the collectible aspect of it or the quality of life aspect of it, it's oh it. it it boils my blood that everybody's just sort of roll. Everybody outside the Nintendo sphere is just sort of rolling their eyes at it. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, uh, a vocal minority that is getting mad about it, but it's just, 
it's such a gross move on their part. It, and and like I know it might sound like 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 exaggeration. No, this is if any <laughs> other company did this, the industry would freak out. The, the th- I just don't. Ugh, the thing that's so tripping bad. me up about it is Nintendo already did this two months ago. Like I don't. I mean, I get your point that like you know people are like oh well if the feature's not there or whatever. But I mean, frankly, the parallel between what this Loftwing Mebo does with Skyward Sword and what the Bowser's Fury Amiibo, you know, the Cat Mario and Cat Peach did, or maybe it's the Bowser Amiibo. I remember one of those did with Bowser's Fury is basically the same. They let you expedite a gameplay mechanic, a gameplay flow, essentially. Because in Bowser's Fury, you tap it, you summon Fury Bowser whenever you want because you want to progress quicker through the harder stuff. With this, you tap it when you want to progress quicker through the overworld. But because of how it's framed and because it's limited to just the Loftwing Amiibo, this one got blowback even within the minority of the Nintendo sphere, that one just kind of came and went without anyone batting, batting an eye, which I find kind of odd. Like, you would think... I'm not necessarily saying it means this one shouldn't, people shouldn't get angry about, but you would think because the functionality is kind of similar, there would have been a similar response, you know, three months ago to the same thing. Um, but it's funny because, like, in, in my opinion, this, this Amiibo really does show how far Nintendo's come with the whole Amiibo concept in multiple ways. Like, obviously, we're talking about, you know, the p- plastic paywall, but... On some someone on Twitter put a side by side pic of this amiibo and the original one of Link from back in twenty fourteen or whatever, and the quality. Never mind what the functionality is. The quality of the figurines, like of Zelda and the Loftwing, is just so much higher, more detailed than Link first was. But then, like you're saying, they're also pushing this idea of like requirements of buying this extra thing at nearly half the price of the game just to be able to access this one feature, and. So it is really they're pushing Amiibo in every way into like kind of new extremes, and they've they've certainly they've certainly skirted against this before. Like Amiibo went from unlocking alternate costumes to actual exclusive items, and like I remember when I think it was yeah it was Samus Returns when Metroid Samus Returns comes came out, they put an entire difficulty level one that was one notch above hard mode behind a requirement of scanning a squishy Metroid Amiibo. Which was a very cool amiibo, and again points to how far the design of these collectibles has come. But also, like blocking a whole difficulty mode seems a bit rough. Like other amiibo that offered modes and the like, at least were just fast tracking your ability to get something that you can later unlock in the game as is. Which, to your point, Nintendo is saying is not the case now with Skyward Swords amiibo, and it was not the case really with the Fury Bowser amiibos. But what actually annoys me, I think more than just like, like yes, it's not the best practice. But what actually annoys me even more than that is just, just so uninspired. And that is what cheapens it so much to me. Like, yeah, those features have no reason to be, be behind a paywall. I absolutely agree. But like some people are like, oh, well, you didn't, to your point, Kevin, some people are like, oh, well, if you didn't know fast travel was going to be a thing, like this doesn't hurt you. It's like, okay, fine, sure. So let's pretend that's a valid point, even among those people, right? The thing that bothers me is, for whatever reason, Nintendo keeps feeling the need to have something digital to make Amiibo not just a collectible figurine, and they're letting themselves get really lazy about what that digital thing is. So instead of like actual cool features, like different costumes for Yarn Yoshis in, in Woolly World, you know, all themed around the character you scan, or the sprites in the original Mario Maker, you know, you scan Amiibo, there's an 8-bit version of that character in the game. Uh, or even like with Animal Crossing, where you, in a way, were sort of fast-tracking because you were scanning cards that let you pick which villagers come to your town. 
like those wheelchairs were still available. Like it was still there were still other ways to do things, and even if they were exclusive, it's like all right, their costumes, their you know cosmetic, and what Nintendo's now doing is just making Amiibo into like a one trick game shark, which just like. Yeah, it, it goes back to my point from last episode about how Nintendo's just more frugal in general these days. Like, they're leaning more on porting existing content. They're, you know, revamping previously made assets. And in the case of Amiibo, they're just doing a little hack instead of actually creating content to go with the figurine. Because, again, for some reason, they seem to be insistent that, listen, if we're going to do a collectible figurine, we got to make a digital component so it could be an Amiibo. And it can be anything, guys. So if you just want to, like, do a quick hack and have Bowser pop up faster... Sure, that's good enough. And that's just like, that just sucks. Like, maybe some of this is because, like, us Nintendo fans, generally speaking, have uh, gotten used to Amiibo being cooler because we've been there all along. Because, like, for, you know, for Nintendo, Amiibo was a big component of their product lineup in the tail end of the Wii U and 3DS days because they needed to milk us diehard fans who actually owned Wii U's. But now with the Switch, there's, you know, 80 million people that are buying the games. They can afford to rest on their Amiibo laurels a bit. So, like, for people who are first experiencing Amiibo now, it's like, oh, it's a cool collectible figurine that does, like, one little thing, sure. But for us, it's even that much more egregious because we know the cooler stuff that Amiibo used to do, you know, seven years ago or whatever. And and I don't think even if Nintendo's like, oh, well, we don't need it, you know, it's not our bread and butter anymore. It's just a side hustle, like... It doesn't give them an excuse to take what could have been like a totally normal gameplay option and just shove it behind a paywall because they didn't want to do something more inspired. And I think that's what bothered me more than just the paywall is the fact that they just didn't want to do something more inspired. It's like, eh, and just threw their hands up. Like that's that's what I find the most lame about this. It's funny how Nintendo either goes too cold with their amiibos where they just don't do enough. Yeah. Or way too hot where they just essentially can break a game like this. Or not break, but you get what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. Where they like can radically change the the flow of a game, and it's so wacky because like, like the... very very seldom do they do they like just hit hit the hit the mark. I, th- I think the sweet spot they managed to hit honestly was the Sanrio Animal Crossing promotion in March that they did, where they had these cards. You scan them. Yes, they're exclusive to the cards, but they give you like a special set of items that are Hello Kitty theme. Like it's not part of the core game. It clearly was never part of the core game. Why is Hello Kitty in the core game? But like, hey, if you buy these things, it's like you get a physical Hello Kitty item in the card. You get an in-game Hello Kitty item. The the villagers are villagers that exist, but they're kind of dressed and themed and matched to Hello Kitty characters. So you're not like feeling like you're getting exclusive characters, but you're getting a little in-game extra. That is cosmetic, but because Animal Crossing is about the cosmetics, has some weight to it, but doesn't feel like it's taking away from anyone else because it's not something that would normally ever be in the game. Like that to me is the sweet spot. That, the you know, the the sprites in Super Mario Maker and them having different abilities that do different gameplay, little minor things. Like, it's not making or breaking the game, but it's like, oh, that's kind of neat. You want to stand as Amiibo? Amiibo, you can have a sprite that does a little spin jump. Like, stuff like that, which they even took out in Mario Maker 2. They got lazy with that, too. Lazy is a bad word. The developers had to put a lot of work into whatever they do with any sort of integration into a game. But business side, they got lazy about it um, by allowing it to only be that and not trying to push harder. You know what I mean? Um... Yeah, so it's just yeah, it's it's very. You would think after as many years they'd know the sweet spot for Amiibo. It's, it feels like, you know, they do the Sanrio cards one day and then they do this a month later. It doesn't make sense. And then this is just going to like open the floodgates for. I, I saw a lot of comments also saying like, well, I'm just going to make my own Amiibo cards because apparently you can just rewrite these NFC yep. like little doodads, 
And they just said, all right, well, that's just what we're going to do. We're not going to buy this thing. And I mean, I'm not advocating for it, but it's a, it's, it's a, almost like go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's a big enough option that uh, so in our blog post, the the source for the story that we link to, you know how we link to different outlets for every story we talk about. Uh, it's The Verge, major major tech site. In the article, they talk about, hey, if you don't want to buy it, here's how to make your own. Like it's not like a undercurrent now. It's a very mainstream option for people, which is yeah, insane because exactly. like Nintendo could have, you know. I don't know. Like, I don't know what they, frankly, would have done. Like, even if it was something silly, honestly, like, there's the whole, like, back when Skyward Sword came out, all the Groose memes, like, the Groose is loose and stuff. Have an amiibo that you scan, and you can make Link look like Groose. Yeah, where's the Groose amiibo? Yeah, or even just have it be the same amiibo, but scan it, and you can be Groose, or something like that. And gameplay-wise, it's the same, but it's, like, kind of a wink and a nod to the fans. It's a cosmetic thing. It doesn't affect your gameplay experience, especially not in a game where they hype up the quality of life changes as being why you want to double dip. Button controls. You know, HD visuals, and then the third one is just like, JK, it's $25 more. Like, it just, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's I feel like it's a very similar situation with how they're handling um, the Switch Online game library, like the free classic games over there, which was, um, unless you have any other thoughts on the Amiibo, Kevin, I'm going to pivot to that real quick here. Uh, no, this is uh, one of the worst moves I've seen Nintendo make, and the fact that they are kind of shrugging it off, uh, I think, speaks uh, volumes. I think. Well, I think it's it, it, it's hard because they can't. It's hard because they can't see through the dollar signs, right? Like they are selling out. So if there's a subset of fans like I can't believe you're doing this, like to Nintendo, that's probably no different than the subset of fans are like, why is not why is the National Pokedex not in Sword and Shield? Because they still saw, you know, made money hand over fist on Sword and Shield. So it's like, oh, it's just a vocal minority. But look, we're selling them out. People are clearly happy. And that's kind of the bad takeaway from this is they're going to keep doing it. The Bowser Amiibos did okay. You know, the Bowser Fury ones. This one's selling out instantly. Like, it's not... The fact that yeah. it wasn't even Bowser is shocking. I can't believe there wasn't a Bowser Fury Amiibo. Yeah. Like, that would have maybe get the game right away. It's like, nope, can't Mario. But yeah, and, I'm not, and to be clear, I'm not necessarily comparing yeah. this. Like, I, I think there's very way more validity in this because of the business decision involved than in the Sword and Shield National Pokedex not being there because of the gameplay design and developer resource decisions involved. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It, I think Nintendo views them as one of the same. The small group of fans are kind of annoyed. It's fine. We're still making money. We're still selling out, which sucks. But what I was going to pivot to is I do feel like Nintendo's mentality with that is very similar to their handling of the Switch Online library with the free classic games, which was the other thing that folks reacted pretty strongly to from Nintendo this past week. And yes, this is actually the second cynical transition I'm doing in a row in this episode. But um, but really, like, it was weird. Like, the tone of the press release announcing the newest additions and the additions themselves just were on totally different wavelengths. I mean, there's this big exclamation-marked headline of Nintendo Switch Online surpasses 100 classic games with new batch of classic titles. And it's like, ooh, what's the big milestone game? That's that's pretty huge. Like, they, I think they did Earthbound as the milestone game on Wii U, didn't they? Like, what's it here? So um, then you scroll down the press release or watch the video, and you see there's really big heavy hitters. I mean, we already mentioned um, good old uh, Spanky's Quest, which... Uh, if you don't know, you play as a, a classic. You play as a titular Spanky, who must, and this is real, quote, use your magic ball, unquote, as you fight off enemies while climbing a tower. So Spanky and his ball. 
make it that way you will. But besides that, there's also um, a couple other games. There's Caveman Ninja, also known as uh, Joe and Mac, which is a Super Nintendo action game with the literal description of can cave dudes Joe and Mac rescue cave dudettes? So, you know, that's a thing. And there's uh, Super Baseball Simulator 1000, which actually, to be fair, this one sounds kind of cool. It's a Super Nintendo game. It does baseball, but, like, kind of wacky. So there's, like, different types of balls that don't exist in real baseball. There's, like, a vanishing ball that mid-pitch will disappear and you have to just do the timing and, like, stuff like that. Kind of more out-there ideas. So that that one may not be bad. There's obviously Spanky, like I said. And then um, there are two previously Japan-only games that are a bit more interesting. Um, on the Super Nintendo side, we have Magical Drop 2, which is a puzzle game that is supposedly pretty good. And on the lone NES game side of things for this update is... Ninja Jaja Marukan, which is both fun to say and lets you ride a giant frog at one point, according to press release. So, you know. Fun to hear, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so first, before we even get into like the nitty of like what this lineup is, any of those games tickle your guys' fancy? Anyone checking out Spanky? I kind of just want to check it out. Just well, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Same. It is, I guess. Same. Honestly, like, I had a surprising amount of fun um, with uh, another good friend of ours. Uh, just going through the library of the games especially when we didn't hear about them and then learning that a bunch of them were by the same developer and they weren't so great but it was still fun so you know bring on the the randos the ones that have not the ones that i know nothing about well, yeah to that to that point um that is kind of the, the thing about this i i know i've said this before on some level but um it is kind of cool to see nintendo give attention to games that like time forgot i mean i made the analogy um the other day that reminds me of like when you're a kid and you want to go to Blockbuster to rent like the big new game and then you get there and you have to sell for whatever random stuff is left on the shelf. And usually that stuff is stuff you maybe haven't heard of, but it ends up there's gems in there. I mean, that's how I discovered Rush 2. It's how I discovered Mystic Ninja. It's how I discovered Mischief Makers. Like Switch Online is kind of doing a similar thing where you're going to like rent a game. You know, they're, they're just there for you to grab. But like you may go in with one expectation. You may come out with something like Magical Drop 2, but like, you know, watching footage of Magical Drop 2, it's Bubble Bobble and Space Invaders combined. Like, you have, like, a thing that moves horizontally at the bottom that shoots bubbles up. The the, thing, uh, the bu- other bubbles come down, and you're basically doing Space Invaders but needing to match colors as you play. So, like, that actually could be fun. I never would have in a million years guessed. And I never would have tried it either, but it's right here. It's I'm already at the Blockbuster. I might as well just rent it. So, like, that aspect of it... I can appreciate, yeah. But when you see how even, like, the Japanese version of the service is getting classics like, you know, Fire Emblem, they're getting the Super Nintendo Fire Emblem at the same time we're getting this. Uh, I don't know, it just makes you... It made me think, at least, that Nintendo's, like, they're kind of going pretty minimal effort here. Like, they're hitting the numbers they need to hit. They're able to go through the motion to say, we have a 100 games, but it's just sort of, like, not empty gestures, but in that direction. Like, just how the Amiibo went from, like, you know, custom content to just sort of hacks, it seems like... Nintendo's just going, all right, listen, we have a bunch of games you know. We're just going to pad this thing. It doesn't matter. Like, you just need to know there's 100 games. What the games are, you'll play them. They're free. So just take this random stuff. It's fine. Like, do you feel... Like, I'm sort of giving up on the idea that we're going to get big games on this anymore. Have you guys reached that point or are you still holding out hope that there may be some, you know, other games coming that are big? Uh, What other big games are there besides TKC franchise? Fair. Okay, Kevin, how about you? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd love to see some more Final Fantasy games on there. Yeah, like, see, that seems like a no, like... Is, is Chrono Trigger on there yet? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Probably not. Wouldn't be surprised if it was Yeah, I, I think, I mean, what's kind of frustrating about it is... 
Well, it's twofold, right? Because Nintendo's the only console service that offers retro games like this. But they're not the only company that's doing free games with their online subscription. Like, Xbox does it, PlayStation does it. And those have effort put into them, right? So, like, even though Switch Online is only 20 bucks and those are 60 if Nintendo's doing retro games, I kind of expect them to try and get some level of recognition, like Chrono Trigger, like Final Fantasy, like that sort of thing. And the reason I think partly we're not seeing them, like, I understand to a degree the problem here is Nintendo can't get them. I mean, like, in the early virtual console game, uh, virtual console game days, like, Nintendo was kind of the innovator. Like, they were the only ones that did this thing where it's, like, a la carte retro games for download on a console. Uh, so, like, sure, Namco would, like, dump a bunch of ROMs on a disc and sell it on the GameCube and be like, look, it's Namco Arcade Collection. But the digital approach, like, that was at the time kind of crazy. So everyone jumped on the Wii Shop Channel bandwagon and we had the Final Fantasies and we had Chrono Trigger. But now, like, every single publisher wants a piece of the retro game pie their own way. Like, Capcom has their collection. You download for free and then you buy an app. Namco has the Namcot collections. Blizzard did uh, its arcade collection, which interestingly about that one in particular a month ago they just updated it with their own free new games lost vikings 2 and rpm racing but anyone that already owned the collection gone for free so they did like their own separate little switch online library of just their games and they're updating it in a similar way to nintendo but isolated which just kind of emphasizes what i'm saying like if a company's doing exactly what nintendo does free games why would they just hand over games to nintendo when they can call their own audience by having them pay for, say, the Blizzard Arcade collection and entice them that way and keep all the money or at least a bigger chunk of the money. Um, but then to circle back to what I was saying about how PlayStation Xbox, you know, they put an effort to get the games, maybe Nintendo needs to too. Like, I don't think we have Final Fantasies and I don't think we have Chrono Trigger, to your point, because I think Square Enix looks and goes, we could sell those for 8 or 10 bucks a pop, Nintendo. Why would we give them to you for free? So Nintendo's kind of sort of stuck because they either have to pay like Xbox and PlayStation do for some games, even though they're classics, or they have to start pumping out some of their older games. And it seems like at least in terms of, you know, like Earthbound and stuff, which I know, or Donkey Kong, it took them how long, Angel, for you to get all your Donkey Kong countries? Like, yeah, exactly. So I I do get like to the point of Nintendo's own frugality, like we were talking about before, like they don't want to pay out. Um, but the thing is, I was reading the Q&A transcript from Nintendo's financial briefing that came out since our last episode. And while there isn't any major news in there, one thing Furukawa did comment on is uh, he was asked about the subscriber base for Switch Online. And, you know, shocker, hit an all-time high during Animal Crossing's peak, of course. And it then gradually declined. Then it rose a bit again after the holidays, went down again, rose again with Monster Hunter Rise. That's kind of where it's at right now. Uh, but I couldn't help but think, like, you know, maybe if they had a steady stream of stopgaps in between releases, uh, even if it cost them a smidge up front to license, like maybe they wouldn't have those dips. You know, we got Pac-Man 99. That's great. Monster Hunter came out. That did well. Great. But there was a post-holiday bump, according to Furukawa, and then it went down. And there are, I looked this up, 704 NES games out there and 1,757 Super Nintendo games out there. So you're telling me that they can't find enough decent quality ones from their own library, from partners that maybe get a little money kicked to them to do enough frequent updates in tandem with everything else they're releasing so it feels like you always need to keep your subscription active to feel, you know, to to basically do the churn logic that every TV streaming service, Disney Plus, HBO Max, you know, all of them understand you got to keep the subscriptions going by constantly putting out new stuff, even if it means licensing old properties. 
you would think as for a cause commenting on how they see declines in subscriptions and it kind of has peaks and valleys and it comes with certain games and goes that they just go or we could have a steady amount of money if we just pay a little up front for bigger benefits down the road i don't know that just that just struck me as weird he's like yeah we well, like sometimes it goes down and we're just like okay and then it goes back up and we're like cool and it's just like no like you can you can very easily fix this <laughs> so so yeah i don't know um but yeah, just seeing seeing that Q and A, and then three days later they put out Spanky's quest, and just like you're not helping your case for a call. So that's my. Hot, and granted, there's probably a lot of business contracts and stuff that go into this. But my my hot take is they could just like pay a little to get Square Enix to give them some games. I don't know. Um, but either way, they're available next week to try on May 26th. And uh, if those don't tickle your fancy, if you don't care about Spanky, uh, there's actually a fair amount of stuff coming out. I mean, Kevin, you already mentioned Shimogon Tensei 3 is available. On the free-to-play front, uh, Knockout City came out this weekend, 10-day free trial. Um, I gave impressions of beta like a month ago. I recommend it. But also Super Bomberman R Online hits this week, which is another game we talked about a couple weeks ago. So, um, yeah, that's just the free-to-play stuff. And then it kind of ramps up from there, too. Um you know we're 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 approaching E3, so this coming week is also going to bring us digital events for news about Dragon Quest, uh, the next Monster Hunter Rise update, and it's straight from there. It's June, it's E3, it's Summer Game Fest, which they just announced um, is more consolidated this year, so much so that they're going to have a two-hour-ish kickoff event called Kickoff Live on June 10th, randomly at 11 a.m. Pacific time. I'm not sure how they chose that on a Thursday, but nonetheless, like we're gonna hit some pretty big news. So for all the bitterness from these last few segments, we can counteract it by at least saying that there's presumably bigger and more exciting news to come. We don't even know what Nintendo has planned. All we know is they will be at E3, which is mid-June, so um, digitally. So yeah, it, it, it's. I feel like this episode was like the bitter calm before the cool news storm, but there you go. Unless you guys have any other thoughts about Switch Online, I think that's it for news before we get to our final little segment here. That's pretty much it. I mean, it, I, I know it is supposed to just be a bonus, and I guess I was able to reach seeing it in mm-hmm. that light, I think, some, at some point last year. Instead of, like, this service needs to be good <laughs> versus it's like, okay, I guess it's just there. Yeah, so, I think I think there's some yeah. level of... Like, I kind of accepted that, and the whole, like, you know, it discovering old games thing was, was kind of how I, con- like, was like, fine, that is what it is. But I think it was just, like, 100 classic games. I'm like, and not even one milestone one on your 100th game. My- okay. All right, Nintendo. Like, that's where it kind of got to me again, I think. Like, if it was game, like, 88 through 92, I'd be like, whatever. But 100's a milestone. That's a big deal. And yet, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah, I guess that does it for news. Um... But as we mentioned at the start of the show, we do have one more topic. Uh, you know, I was going to make a DK rap reference, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. As Bago, he's a leader of the bunch. You know him well. We're talking Donkey Kong, but I I, uh, I guess I just did it. Either way, um, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we're going to be doing something, uh, a kind of semi-regular segment in the podcast when time allows that I guess I dubbed the anniversary series at the top of the show but um like i don't know if you guys realize this uh 2021's a ridiculous year for big game anniversaries from pikmin and f-zero to pokemon and persona to metroid and donkey kong to resident evil to it's, it's like a huge list so we thought it'd be kind of fun to pause when we can to sort of reflect on some of those franchises since you know so many of them made up such a big part of our gaming lives and what better place to start than with the oldest franchise of the bunch Donkey Kong, which is turning 40, 40 this year. 
So, um, Andrew, I know you at least, like, you already referenced it a couple times. Uh, Donkey Kong Country, like, that, that's your jam, isn't it? Like, that's probably, I would guess, like, your fondest Donkey Kong memory is just those games. It is, but when we're talking about the anniversary of Donkey Kong, I don't think of that franchise. You think of the arcade? Yeah, pretty much anything related to not solo Donkey Kong. Just because, you know, like, it's like two completely different franchises at this point. Or I guess that's all it has been. I mean, you have the Mario Kong games, and then you have the, I guess, the solo Kong games. And the Mario Kong games have had their fair share of, like, really awesome ones, like... Like probably like the one that most people probably remember is the what is it called the the Game Boy Donkey Kong eighty six I think is what it was um called. wait you mean the Game Boy um, one from the nineties Donkey Kong ninety two oh maybe um uh, it's pretty much it starts like it's gonna be a remake of the original yeah, Donkey Kong game but then yeah. it suddenly becomes this this giant like adventure with like sprawling maps different areas way more traversal moves like pretty much where they could tell, like, Mario got a lot of his, like, you know, acrobatics from. I think, like, the whole... One of the hooks is just, like, how acrobatic Mario is. Which is kind of funny that, like, I'm talking about Mario. If you're in, like, a Donkey yeah. Kong anniversary oh, also, thing. Um, but, quick correction, I mean, those... Donkey Kong 94, I believe, not 2. I know I said 2, but I think it's 4. Uh, Sorry, continue. Well, yeah, like, pretty much, um... Yeah, it's been a while, like, since I played that game. And, like, you know, that got a kind of a remake in the Mario vs. Donkey Kong. The first one was pretty much that. Just, you know, different enemies, a different coat of paint. And then we had the Donkey Kong vs. Mario mini-series, which pretty much just turned into exclusively mini-stuff. Which, you know, were cool. No real direct control of Donkey Kong, but... I mean, it is kind of interesting just reminding myself every once in a while that Donkey Kong is in a way more a Mario character than he is his own Which is so character. weird to me. Because <laughs> I, I forget that when I'm playing like the country games, which as like I've made it perfectly clear here, like I love to death, especially one and two. I did play three to completion and I don't know, something about it just made it feel more made in a level editor kind of levels than um I don't know. It it felt like they were making the game off of a checklist instead of a, I don't know, a nicely thought up uniform thing. Like, I don't know, things just felt mashed together. I don't know, I, I, maybe because the, the themes were just so much more distinct in, especially part two. One, I mean, was just kind of just... Man, are, are we slipping back into the debate getting of how industrialized. much Kong Country 3? We've done this before. No, I mean, Donkey Kong 3, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a great, difficult game. Um... I mean, obviously, like, the level design is still, like, top tier, but... Although, funny thing know. with that, I, I, who's not in, in it? Opinion, Donkey Kong. <laughs> Even in his own yeah. series, he's barely I don't know, in but it. something about it just... <laughs> but it just, like, I don't know. Something about it just made it... I don't know. Like, it lost its spark, in I my opinion. I strongly disagree, yeah, and we Donkey talked Kong, about this even like a two year ago. Pick it up in the archives, listeners. But, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, but, no, I like I love 3. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, I don't know. I, I do but think you touch love Donkey Kong '94. I do think you touch on something kind of interesting with Donkey Kong, which is like, like it. I feel like the most prevalent. Like if he feels like a cameo when he's well, in Mario Kart, that, but like but he, he really isn't. isn't 
a franchise as much like he's Kirby. I mean, he's a, a smaller, I guess, or not so smaller Kirby. Where like there's Donkey Kong and what he traditionally is, and then there's everything he isn't. And there's this weird dichotomy of games that are Donkey Kong games and games that have Donkey Kong in them. And like I'm, I'm you know, I'm talking like Donkey Konga and Jungle Beat, which are one type of thing. And then there's Mario vs. Donkey Kong, as you said, which is another type of thing. And then they had these other experimental games, like I don't know if you remember King of Swing on Game Boy Advance, where you were Donkey Kong and all you did was use L and R to hop. A rotating Donkey Kong from peg to peg as you climbed up these. That, game, that game was terrible. It was something. I got it at uh, Circuit City for like eight bucks on discount, and like, yep, there's the, yeah, there's a reason yeah. why it was. But eight like, bucks. It, it that sort of thing about the DK Legacy in my mind is like, because you know, like my, I think my very first, yeah, when I I don't ever think about this as it being the case, but my very first Nintendo game I owned, among others, was Donkey Kong Land. Uh, when I got my Game Boy when I was six, I got Donkey Kong Land, Donkey Kong Land Two. Um, Bugs Bunny and Crazy Castle 3 and one of the Star Wars games or whatever. But like the very first two cartridges I took off the shelf that were sitting in my case were Donkey Kong. And like that, you know, that was one type of Donkey Kong, but it's not what I associate with Donkey Kong. Like even Donkey Kong Country, weirdly, I don't associate like the entire franchise with Donkey Kong. I associate it with Donkey Kong 3 and I associate it with this weird thing where, um, do you remember in the 90s and early 2000s, hotels would have, like, Super Nintendos in them? Like, there was, like, this weird knockoff controller that you could pay by the hour to play Super Nintendo games from your hotel TV. That was my most exposure to Donkey Kong Country before um, I got the Game Boy Advance version. Like, I would, every time we were at a hotel that had it, just play Donkey Kong Country. So, like, I have, like, these kind of piecemeal memories of, like, what Donkey Kong, quote-unquote, is. But the bulk of them are what he isn't, which is, like, he doesn't really have a through line he like i say he's kind of like kirby like at the end of the day you got your core dk experiences which in the 80s i guess to your point angel were like the arcadey ones and stuff like donkey kong 94 and you know they kind of riffed on that with donkey kong 3 and donkey kong jr and and that then in the 90s it kind of pivoted to mean a 2d size growing platform with monkeys doesn't necessarily have to be donkey kong himself but then like you got all these attempts at them branching into weird experimental stuff like the bongos or like you know lemmings type gameplay with the minis and it really felt like if you stop and think about it, the path that Kirby took and the path that Donkey Kong took are kind of the same, just Kirby does it way more frequently. And I think what Kirby does differently is, um, now that I think about it, is it's kind of more of a one and done. Or, uh, like, maybe not rain- maybe not Canvas Curse, because that got, got us Rainbow Curse. But for the other most part, Kirby spinoffs are just one-offs. But DK seems to, like, they explore each idea of, like, maybe two games, sometimes three, and then they just drop it. So, like, you know, the original arcade game, like I said, led to Donkey Kong Jr. and, and kind of Donkey Kong Math, and then 94, and that was it. And then Diddy Kong Racing became sort of this weird, it ended up being Barrel Blast. And again, Diddy Kong Racing, Donkey Kong's not even in it, but it's still his world. Uh, and then it became like Barrel Blast, which was like this, do you remember that on, I think it was the Wii, where you like fly around on like barrel jets, and it was a weird thing. And then like Donkey Kong Country... You know, the idea of fellow monkeys with custom abilities that evolved into Donkey Kong 64, it kind of stopped there. Uh, obviously, they revived it with uh, Returns and Tropical Freeze, but, you know. But then even then, so they revived Donkey Kong with Returns, they do a sequel, Tropical Freeze, and then they just kind of stop again. And Donkey Konga, you know, had a direct sequel, but it also led to Jungle Beat, so they kind of evolved that idea where you're platforming with drums, but then it just stopped there. And, like, Mario vs. Donkey Kong had a bajillion sequels, but, like, it had Mario and Donkey Kong for like two and it stopped there and became just the mini Marios. Maybe it was three, but still like they phased out Donkey Kong. Like it's so strange to me how like 
they don't really know what to do with their oldest mascot except make him a side character in Mario games. They keep trying all these different things and they're just kind of pumping the brakes. I mean, did you guys play much of the spinoffs? I know, Angel, you played Mario vs. Donkey Kong because, well, one, we talk, you just talked about it, but two, we went through impressions of all the minis sequels on the show in the early days. But, like, Kevin, did you ever do much outside of hating King of Swing with Donkey Kong? Do you have any good memories or bad memories of any of those experiences? Uh, I mean, I played a little bit of Donkey Kong and uh, Barrel Blast, surprisingly, but... I'm genuinely shocked. No, I haven't really played... Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I generally haven't played anything out of the country series. On the original SNES too, so it's not, not even, even returns. Not even that. Donkey Kong Country Returns, yeah. It's such he's such a weird character because he's so iconic, and yet there's not that. Like I could tell you, like, oh yeah, I played Donkey Konga, and I that's where I heard Rock Lobster for the first time, true story, and was drumming away to it. And the drums are actually pretty cool controllers, but like, wow, okay, that's not really a Donkey Kong memory. That's a music game that happened to have him in it. Like it's it's bizarre. Like there's no like like if you say what you. No, that's the first time. That's where yeah, you first heard yeah. the song. Not Family Guy, Donkey Konga. Um, but because they did a whole guy? Rock Lobster bit that went super. That was like one of their more famous bits. Um, uh, but where Peter's singing it. But um, yeah, like just the fact that all the experiences involving Donkey Kong, except Country One, I guess, barely have to do with Donkey Kong is strange. <laughs> like the more I think about it, the more it's really strange. Um, but I think as we're now, I guess, hitting forty years of Donkey Kong, I after saying how strange it is, I kind of want them to do it again. Like do something new. They we they they've done the country games again. Like that's cool. It, it you know when it first came out, it felt like a nice nostalgic trip because two D platforms weren't really back in their prime yet. Like it was in that lull, and they did some neat artsy stuff with with the silhouette levels and all that. Then Tropical, came, uh, Tropical Freeze came out and, you know, kind of same deal, uh, pushed it a little further. But now, like, you know, we're seven, eight years since Tropical Freeze first came out and 2D platformers with cool artsy stuff are like a dime a dozen. Certainly more common. So um, I kind of want them to maybe go in a new direction again. Like, I don't know. Is there is – there, who's open for a 3D Donkey Kong again? I want them to take another stab at that without it being a collect-a-thon. I think that could be kind of cool. Uh, um. Mm. Without it being a collect thong, I was I was literally just thinking of uh essentially make a three D Donkey Kong in the style of uh Odyssey. Well you know what's funny about that? Very fitting you mentioned that. That's literally a collect thong. Yeah, that's true. Actually that's true. Yeah, so I guess not as a DK sixty four style collect because yes, Odyssey's a collect thong, but I'm okay with that one. I know Angel you aren't, but um yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that though. I think I'm more okay with how DKC was a collect thong more so than Odyssey. Fair. Um, but, but no, Kevin, that's very funny you mentioned yeah. that because there's a rumor that's popped up. Um, now, this originally was some Twitter person who may have hookups, so I, you know, it wasn't worth mentioning. But then it was substantiated by DK Vine, which uh, DK Vine, Donkey Kong Vine, is the de facto Donkey Kong fan site. They're the Cerebi.net of Donkey Kong, if you will. Um, and what both are saying, Jesus they're, they're, that's the thing. They've been around since the They've That's been around insane. since the '90s. They're they're like yeah. And what they are now can can you know agreeing with is this Twitter person, and they're both basically saying that Nintendo is developing a new Donkey Kong game that won't be country branded, will be internal by members of the EAD Tokyo team who did Mario Odyssey, but also who did Jungle Beat back on the GameCube, 
And uh, yeah, it's going to be some sort of new Donkey Kong thing. So the Twitter person said it'd be 3D and it'd be fully the Odyssey team. DK Vine is saying it's not truly EAD Tokyo. It's actually, more interestingly, a new team within Nintendo's internal studios that will be formed by members of various teams, including some from EAD Tokyo. And apparently this team is going to be in charge, kind of like how EAD Tokyo is now all the 3D Marios. This team's going to be the Donkey Kong team going forward. So they're building a new team, supposedly, just to create some sort of new Donkey Kong experience that they then plan to sort of iterate on in the way that 3D Marios happen. So... It is, in a way, like they're going to make an Odyssey with Donkey Kong, potentially. Um, and it does kind of address my personal desire for there to be more – something new with Donkey Kong again, opposed to just kind of a third country. Um, what's currently unknown is what type of game it will be. 2D side-scroller, 3D platformer, something in between. But I would guess, given the pedigree of those involved, that – you know, the EAD Tokyo guys, they did 3D World, they did Odyssey, they do the kind of like sandboxy, it's it's uh, open, but it's also, not, you know, they did Galaxy. The idea that like it, it's an open space, but it's like a confined one, which would alleviate probably the biggest concerns about DK64 where you had to wander aimlessly because it would be a little tighter, but could be in some capacity 3D. So... We'll see how that pans out, but um, like I'd, I'd be cool with 3D minecarts. I'd be cool with like into the screen, like vine swinging, like obviously not like Spider-Man level, but some sort of like adapting that stuff. Like that could be fun. So yeah, I uh, I think to your point, Kevin, it could be happening, and we could, given that's the fourth anniversary this year, hear about it at E3. Just give us uh, just give us a first-person game in the vein of Resident <laughs> Evil, but in the Donkey does he have his universe. barrel blaster? Straight up horror, action horror. Yeah. So they'd have his barrel design. blaster. Very gritty. And there's slow haunting. Yeah, barrel, version oh. of the DK rap that plays in the background. Like how they did uh, "Creep" as that like opera yeah, exactly. song for the Social Network trailer, <laughs> but it's the DK rap. Perfect. Yep. Just give us something completely out of left field. Yeah, that would on honestly survival horror Donkey Kong. If they can make go. a Donkey Kong bongo game, <laughs> like what you're saying is not that ridiculous. Like, they could literally convince people to buy a pair of bongos to play a GameCube game, both a music one and one where you drum to beat up enemies by punching them. Like, this is well in the wheelhouse. So, so we'll see. I mean, Angel, is there something you would want out of Donkey Kong at this point? No. Survivor I mean, like, seriously? <laughs> it's just that. Yeah, there isn't really anything I want out of Donkey Kong right now. We're we're pretty good right now. Um, on good terms. <laughs> I mean, I loved, yeah. I mean, I I loved um, Country Returns and Tropical Freeze, and that gave me, like, it was so satisfying. They were both such satisfying games that I'm not really hungry for Donkey Kong yet. Like, I'm still. I don't want to say I'm full off of the last meal, but like, I'm yeah, I'm still satisfied. It's like, I'm like, yeah, they, they do whatever they want. Like, they, I don't. I don't really need Donkey Kong. I'm perfectly content replaying Tropical Freeze, if anything. And as you know, like I'm still like replaying like the old Donkey Kong games again, right. like the Unsteam's time. So, yeah, I mean, if they do anything with it, I would honestly rather them do just something, yeah, like I said, out of left field. Like, I was kind of joking about but the Rebel Horror Donkey Kong, but was real. I would just want yeah. like a completely different... But I, I don't know, just want just give me a completely different genre that I didn't know I wanted to play. Because there are plenty of I don't know, like Mario kind of turned me off of like big open world mm-hmm. platformers like that. 
at least the way those levels were designed. Like parts of them were amazing, parts of them were like, eh, it's just getting kind of repetitive mm-hmm. and boring. But I just powered through it, so I don't know if I want another collectathon. Maybe it's something that's a little more, like, I don't know, they shorten the scope a bit instead of just sticking moons everywhere or bananas right. or whatever it be. And and that's just so maybe just like a genre. I don't know, give me a a freaking um. Was it Murder Detective Club? But Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Detective Club, like a, a graphic, <laughs> an attractive novel adventure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. hey, they have the lore. They had that '90s CG cartoon that could adapt those storylines. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, how weird is that? Exactly. If you think about it, excluding the original Donkey Kong Country, the only real like starring vehicle for Donkey Kong, where he's actually the main character in a game where you control him directly. That's a main line release. Isn't even a game. It's that cartoon. It's that cartoon. It's the crystal, whatever. Like he, like King of Swing, you control him, but it's not about him. It's about the mechanic. Barrel Blast. He's just one of my like the the game where he's like the protagonist. Is it Donkey Kong Country or it's not a game? It's that silly cartoon. It's so strange for French for for a mascot that like big and that like historically relevant to Nintendo. It's so strange. Yeah, I'm surprised because of his like you know big ties with Mario. Like he has a lot of. You know, Mario Donkey Kong mm-hmm. games, he said that his inclusion in Mario Kart is like less so a cameo and more so he's just a yeah. part of the Mario universe. But I'm surprised we, they don't leverage him more in other Mario games. Like just have him there. Like even if it's an Well, it's fine because they leverage the idea I mean, they kind of, of him. The, like there's always references to the hammer. Yeah. I mean, he's a Mar- I mean, the whole arcade I mean, tribute. He had his own space in Mario Party. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He wasn't even playable in Mario Party for a bit. But yeah, like even in Mario Odyssey, I thought one of the coolest things they did was the new Donkey City celebration you go through where it's like recreating Donkey Kong. Yeah. That was yeah, like, like an they indirect keep doing one. that. Like, you think he it's would just so be strange. there hanging like, out? He's such a key. Yeah. So really, I guess whatever form he takes, I just want Donkey Kong to get the, the love he deserves. Not to be not to be treated the same as to go back to uh, Mario Golf. Not to be tra- treated on the same yeah, level and, and as and looking bigger King bob but to actually like be his own character. Yeah, I'd also like to see a nicely proportioned figure of him. I, I could see First for Figures doing a really cool one of him yeah. when they start building up the momentum for whatever new releases for the 40th anniversary. So, you know, in the next few months. But, yeah. but we will see. I mean, E3 is literally only – it's less than a month away, I think. So, you know, that's probably where we're going to see something because they'd be silly not to release it in the 40th anniversary unless there's, uh, you know, COVID-related delays, in which case that's totally understandable. But time will tell. Time will tell. Um, but yeah, so that was the first of, I guess, our anniversary series. We'll, like I, like I said, we'll, we'll do some other, um, franchises as time allows over the course of the year and just sort of reflect on what we like and dislike and what's weird about them. So, and what's great about them. But with that, um, also you guys had any surprise topics I didn't know about. I think we can call this episode a wrap. I think that's it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, there's um there is play more on the horizon, even if there's absolutely nothing in those last thirty seconds. Um on May thirtieth, check back for our next quarantine chronicles. We're gonna be uh, I believe diving into the wild weird weird world of reality TV a little, among other things. So there's that. And then the week yep. after that, in the midst of all the pre E three and pre summer game fest buzz, uh, you know, we're gonna have an episode on June sixth. With uh, all the news from the showcases these next few weeks, some game impressions with everything coming out these next few weeks, and, you know, who knows what else. I would wager there may be a Pokemon Presents that we'll be talking about between now and then. 
So who knows? Uh, so to make sure you don't miss any of what we're up to or talking about, uh, you can subscribe to us on everything. You're on a podcast app, as Kevin noted last week when he was doing his clothes. Uh, so I might not need to say go to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, because you may already be there, iHeart. Uh, but also we're on YouTube at RandomNintendo.com. Uh, you can find us there. We're on Twitter at RandomNintendo. We're individually on Twitter. I'm JSR7. Andrew's Wero, W-E-I-R-O. Kevin's KVN Gomi. Um, and yeah, we, we this episode was climbing to the top of the roller coaster. And starting with the next one, we're coming down full speed into like a ton of news. So it's going to it's gonna be fun. But until then, Kevin, final word. Picture you check and smash, you cowards. <laughs>